Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Great. Well, welcome. This is Henry Lopez today with a special guest, Steve Alexander, who I'm going to introduce here in a moment, and then he'll finish introducing himself as well. So thanks for joining us. This is going to be a great and exciting episode. Lots of knowledge from another small business owner, Steve Alexander. Steve is an avid fisherman, and he has been fishing private and public lakes for over 35 years, whether it's fishing from a tube or a small two-man boat. He has developed a tremendous passion for fishing smaller bodies of water, and his desire is to be a servant leader that has inspired him to partner with private lake owners with suburban fishermen. So he combines those two, and we'll talk about that. Uh, This passion led him to this current business, which is called Private Water Fishing. His company's tagline is Real Solitude, and real is spelled R-E-E-L, as in a fishing reel. I love that. Real Solitude. And I think it clearly reflects one of the components of his value proposition, which is offering members of private water fishing, luxury fishing, and private lakes. And we'll get into what that's all about. Uh, Steve graduated from Stephen F. Austin State University here in Texas with a degree in finance and horticulture. And prior to owning this business, private water fishing, he had a successful 22-year career in sales and so we'll have them chat about that. So welcome, Steve. If you'll please add to that bio and background, and welcome to the podcast. Well, Henry, it's a pleasure to be with you. I don't know what I can add. You, you did your homework. You studied up, and uh, you, you summed it up pretty well. Well, great. I appreciate that. Uh, just a little background on how you and I came to chat. Uh, we have a friend in common. Actually, he's a member of your business, uh, Mark Brady, who's a longtime friend of mine. And we I happened to be over to his house a few weeks back and. He mentioned this business, and he said, and Steve is the uh, my favorite entrepreneur. That's what Mark says. Steve is my favorite entrepreneur. And I was like, okay, I got to ask why, of course. And he went on about your business and how you think about things, and he was just, you know, couldn't gush enough about the business and yourself. And I said, well, I've got to interview this guy. So Steve, uh, excuse me, Mark put me in touch with you, and and here we are. So again, thanks for taking the time to do this with us. You bet. Mark Brady is one of my favorites. He's uh, he he's a great guy with a great love and a great passion for many things, and uh, I'm glad he put us together. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's definitely is one. I've never been fishing with him, uh, mostly because I'm scared to do so. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's a very intense individual when it comes to when he's focused on something like fishing, and he's a perfect customer for you. We'll get into more of this because he loves that solitude, fishing by himself. He can afford the the luxury of doing that at, at a, in a private level. Not that he wants, you know, the fancy clubhouse or anything. He just wants the true passion, which is getting out there on a body of water, being left alone to do what, what he loves to do, which is to fish. And that's that's why this was such a great fit for him. Um, But let me start with where we love to start with folks like yourself is understanding that journey to becoming a business owner. Most of our listeners are either thinking about that or have just started out. 
and we're always curious as to how you got here. So share with us, as I mentioned, you had a successful career in sales. What was it that led you to becoming a business owner, do you think? Well, I, for me, it was I got tired of travel. I had been on I was on an airplane all the time. All my clients were back east and in Canada. About uh, 40% of my business was in the Toronto area. And I just woke up one day and said this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. I was I think 41, 42 years old and I thought what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? And so hmm. I began to kind of look at my life and say what is it that I really enjoy doing? And so I uh thought you know I, I love this little bass club that I'm a member of. What if I bought this thing? So I called the owner and uh, asked him if he'd be interested in selling. He said, uh, no. Uh, why would I sell the best job a guy could have? I said, I don't know. I just thought I'd try. And uh, so three or four months later, he called me back and said, uh, yeah, listen, why don't we talk? So we had a conversation, and uh, at first they just wanted me to infuse some capital into it and kind of help from a management role. And I said, this business is not big enough for Two of us, actually, they had seven uh, investors in it. It certainly wasn't big enough for eight or nine of us. So short story is two years later, I bought it, and that was January of 2010, and uh, we've never looked back. Excellent, excellent. So I want to go back to what you said there. Uh, what what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, in life, uh, and it's taken me a long time to realize there's a lot to do with the risk. And I think most people that don't wind up going into entrepreneurship is they're afraid to risk and probably had a little bit of that in me. And I said, you know what? I don't want to go through the rest of this life worrying about what if. So I took a jump. I literally made 15%, not 50. That's one five percent of my income. Uh, we changed our lifestyle and uh, and. You know, it's come back some. It's come back a lot, actually. Um, but I'm ten times happier than I ever dreamed I would be, and it's been a roller coaster, but it's been a ton of fun. So, is overcoming that risk of failure? Would you say that was one of the biggest things that had held you back from being a business owner before? I would say, you know, it's you know, we're all. I think if we're all deep down, we're sincere with our the way we feel about ourselves. We're all a little bit insecure that. Can we really make something work like this? It's a lot easier to to work for somebody and have a relatively stable job, although I was 100% commissioned. So rather uh, I got paid whether I you know, sold something or didn't sell something. So mm-hmm. in many ways that made the jump a lot easier. Um, so. Yeah, and you and I had chatted about that. That, that mm-hmm. obviously coming from that background, mm-hmm. you, you understood it was all on you even when you did have a job. Um, were there early influences in your life as well, you think, now looking back, that helped you make the, the move or that influenced you to think about being your own boss? Yeah, I think so. I think like many folks, your your parents have a big influence. And my dad came from a 100% sales background, and, and him and my mother formed a magazine along with a local celebrity here in the Dallas area called Neil Sperry. He's a gardening guru. And then my mother also formed another partnership with Neil Sperry. Uh, and back in the old days, you put tabloids into newspapers. And so she was 50-50 partners with uh, Neil and uh, several endeavors. And I guess you look back on that and say, gosh, if my mom can do it, I can do it. And 
I, I tell people my mom was the best salesperson that I'd ever met. So usually it comes yeah. from your father, but in this case, my mother had a big influence on me. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I definitely can see where that would have been an influence. Why do you think she was such a great salesperson? She she learned to ask good questions, and that's something that we talk about here at Private Water Fishing. You listen more than you talk, and you learn to ask good questions, and then, of course, you've got to come up with uh, solutions to those questions. But I think a, a, a lost art or a fine art is learning to ask good questions. So she's a yeah. she's a master. In fact, when I would have friends over or a new girlfriend, uh, we, <laughs> we call it the Spanish Inquisition. Mom would go mm -hmm. off on 20 or 30 questions. But, you know, deep down, I think people really like it. So it shows. Yeah, they, it shows I'm sure there were very I'm sure there were very penetrating questions. And when she was done, she got what she needed. She, she, <laughs> she knew what the lay of the land was. Yeah, absolutely. And in those those uh, those qualities have stuck with me. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's it's such an important attribute. I think that's one of the things I, I also have a sales background as Mark Brady does, who we mentioned earlier. And I, I think about what are the things that I've been able to bring from that to business ownership, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Asking questions, uh, particularly if you're starting in, in a business where you have no knowledge of that particular industry or business is completely new. This is how we learn. You got to ask good questions of the right people, and then listen, like you mm -hmm. said, instead of doing so much talking. Um, excellent. So let's talk a little bit about combining a passion. Fishing has always been a passion for you, and now you've found a business that combines that. So to tell me about that. Is that what you think is in part why you've been so successful, I have to believe? Well, I don't know. To me, maybe passion is a little bit overrated, but I was passionate about it. I really enjoyed it. You know, to be frank with you, you know, when you get into something that you're passionate about, uh, it now becomes business for me. And so while I still love to fish, I think maybe it's waned a little bit. But there isn't a, a day that I don't wake up and think about fishing and, and uh, thinking about running a small business. But uh, I don't know if, if passion is the right word or not, but uh, I certainly still enjoy it. And so what do you mean by passion being overrated? Ex explain that. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's like a buzzword. I, you know, I'm a. Uh, there's certain business words that I think get overused. I think passion is one. One of my pet peeves is the word synergy. I'm not a big fan of people using buzzwords like synergy. And I think sometimes passion is a, a, a word that's uh, maybe overused. Yeah, I understand that. Mm -hmm. So what I, what I was trying to get at there was that we were always told find something you love mm -hmm. and then try to make a business out of that. And I always struggle with that sure. because I, I don't know that, that those two things always go together. But you can love what you do and the, the, the process of it and the fact that you're building something. Uh, but here you're, you're combining the two. And so that's what I was trying to get at it, that there's got to be an extra level of satisfaction there that it's a business built around something that you love to do. Absolutely. And it's something that others love to do. It's, it's a fun mm -hmm. business. I cannot tell you how many times I have our <clears throat> membership who uh, tell me, gosh, I'd love to do something like you're doing. And, mm. and I have to pinch myself and tell myself that once in a while, uh, because it is cool. I mean, it's, uh, however, usually in really cool businesses, uh, the, the pay isn't as, as nice as it would be in some other businesses that aren't quite as sexy. This is a pretty sexy business being in the hunting and fishing, fishing industry. So, um, I don't know. I, I love it. Um, 
I still love it. I, I guess the word passion was just something I was a, a term that I felt maybe was a little overused. So. Yeah, no, I get it. it. The other thing that happens, of course, is we, we regardless of whether it's something we enjoy doing, there is the work of running a business. There's all of the other things that come with it that are maybe not as fun, uh, but have to get done. Uh, and so that, that all kind of, you have to try to balance that and continue to keep in mind that overall we're enjoying this. Um, and that, that's kind of what I tend to focus on. So you bought the business in 2010. Uh, I've gone through the process of buying a business myself, but but tell us about that. What are some of the key things you learned about going through that process of buying an existing business? Sure. Well, first of all, I had no idea how to value the business, and the guy had mm. no the guy that I bought it from, or the group of investors I bought it from, really didn't know how to value the business either. The, the business was in debt, um, so for me, the uh, something I didn't anticipate was. Uh, until I poured into the books was how deeply in debt the company was. And so we owed a lot of money to the uh, landowners, our leaseholders. And so, uh, but I was amazed at how forgiving they were. And it was, as long as I was willing to cover the debt, they were willing to continue the leases. And so um, I paid each one of them off. And through that whole process we had at that time, I think, 40 or 50 people that we owed money to, and I say we, actually, the former company owed money to, they owed money to, and uh, we paid every one of them off, and I did not have one landowner drop us uh, through that process. That's fantastic. Yeah. So in in, uh, in the negotiations and evaluation, did you leverage a broker, an attorney, a CPA? Who did you bring in professional-wise to help you with that process? Uh, uh, I brought in a CPA, but... Um, Really, uh, to me, the company had very little value, and to the CPA, it had very little value. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really, it was goodwill. It was the uh, lease agreements uh, with the landowners that was the value of it. In hindsight, would I have done it differently? Absolutely. I would have brought in a team, but at that time, I didn't really know what my team was, and I really mm -hmm. didn't have a good uh, group of resources like I do today. Okay. And then you buy this existing business, you understand some of the challenges it had, so share with me some of those early challenges, year one. What were some of the things that maybe you did not anticipate that you had to work through? Well, I don't think any of this is rocket science to your listeners, but you know, you have to do everything. When you're a small business, and when at that time we were a group of three, and so um, I had to develop a website, I had to write all the content for the website, we had to kind of take things into the 21st century. Uh, we had a reservation system that was virtually non-existent. You had to call in. We had to automate that, so that's all now been computerized. Uh, you know, all the marketing things, you know, getting just, you know, all the way down to business cards and letterheads and brochures and all those things. You have to – somebody's got to do that. And uh, right. when you have a, a staff of three, it usually falls to me. And so, uh, uh, but now I'm learning to delegate. We've hired a few more people. And so uh, now you have the challenges managing employees. So, right, yeah. exactly. It turns into that challenge. Yep. So, yeah, we, we all go through that, obviously, starting a business where we, everything falls on us. Is there anything you would have done differently? Would, have you, would you have hired sooner for any of these uh, administrative tasks in particular? Uh, looking back on it now, Probably not. 
Um, I don't know. I say that. Uh, I, I vacillate whether it would have been a good move or not. You know, financially it was a disaster, so we were <laughs> we were hemorrhaging. So I don't think I could have afforded it. But yep. I've been a little bit adverse to debt, and so looking back on it, yeah, I probably would not have been so adverse to debt. I knew the potential was there. I knew I could do it, or we could do it, and um, and I was right. So yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's great. So you're in business with your wife. I've been in business with my <laughs> wife as well. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a business together now. Uh, they always tell you, don't go into business with family or friends, but I've done both and, and have done so successfully and sometimes maybe not so successfully. But tell me, what, what did, what's your trick? Well, how have you guys worked it out so that you can work together well? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think clearly having defined roles. My wife, like so many small businesses, does AP and AR. She sticks to that and does a pretty good job with that. We We have a CPA, and then we also have a lady that comes in probably monthly and helps her in areas that that she may get stuck in you know honestly her her skill set is not really AP and AR she's a people person but uh you know I always tell her she's uh she's on the right seat or she's on the right bus we're headed the right direction I'm just <laughs> not sure she's in the right seat yet and so uh but she likes it it gives her a tremendous amount of flexibility even though the, the, the P&L and the cash flow statement and the balance sheet are important, um, <laughs> I just kind of uh, – I, I look at those things. We talk about them, and, uh, but from a day-to-day -day perspective, I don't get involved with the uh, collection of money. Uh, I leave that up to her, and we don't really have many of those issues to begin with. So I guess what I would tell your listeners is clearly define your roles, and uh, it's hard enough to, to raise children and uh, to be in a marriage and then to work together, but – uh, I also, I think I'm a little bit lucky in that she is extremely, extremely easygoing and easy to get along with. I'm very type A, pretty driven, and she's uh, not that way, and so um, uh, it, it tends to work. Yeah, that balance works. Did you define? Do you feel like you defined the roles ahead of time, or did you, or have you come to that definition of roles? Did you talk about it as you were in the process of buying the business, or did it come afterwards? Gosh, Henry, I'm not sure how to answer that. I would say, uh, you know, we kind of knew where the roles would be, and okay, um, and they've just kind of stayed that way. I don't think it was okay. that well thought out. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. I always advise my clients as they're starting to think about starting a business with family members or with any partner for that matter, that they clearly discuss these things ahead of time. Now, things change because you think – a person was going to play this role, and then it makes, like you said, better sense to move the seat on the bus. Mm -hmm. But, but, but discuss these things up front so that you don't end up having uh, an argument later or hit a that roadblock later. And and so that because I do think that is the key is understanding roles and then respecting each other's roles so you're not micromanaging, especially like you said, you being a type A as I am and my wife is similar where I could real, run all over her if I wanted to. And I did initially and that was a learning process sure. for me is to learn to you know, delegate and then actually delegate, actually leave it alone, mm -hmm. right? And that, that's hard to do for, for my personality type. I understand. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so. So let's talk a little bit more about the business. If I understand it correctly, you've got really two customers. You've got the landowners, and they've got certain concerns and benefits that they get out of partnering with you. And then, of course, you've got the members like Mark Brady who are using these private lakes. So there's different value propositions to each of those. Can you speak to that? Sure. 
uh, maybe I'll just back up just a little bit. So private water fishing is a company that leases private lakes from individual ranches and makes them available to landowners. So as you mentioned, we do have two customers. One is our membership, which is about a little over 500 members. And then we have about 70 landowners that we lease private lakes from. And so uh, the benefits for a member are that you uh, get to fish on private property. And when you make a reservation, you're the only one on the property. So no other members with you. And you tend to catch more fish and bigger fish on a private lake than you would on a public lake. Uh, you know, I've asked people, what is it that they most appreciate when they pull up to a, a property of ours? And it, uh, one guy said it this way. He said, it's not what I see. It's what I don't see. I don't see mm -hmm. jet skis. I don't see, um, you know, four boats at a, one particular point on the lake where the where you want to fish. So uh, I, I thought that was a a good way of putting it. And, and as far as what our landowners receive, obviously they receive an income, and that's important to anybody. Nobody would do this without money. Uh, but secondly, we partner with them in helping them manage their lake. And so, believe it or not, there are tips and techniques you use to grow fish. And since we're a partnership, uh, our, we're best served when, when we're working together with those landowners to make their lakes uh, a, a great fishery. So I think those are the, the primary benefits. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And that last point is something that certainly somebody like me who's not an avid fisherman would never have known about. I know a little bit about it in speaking with Mark Brady as, as to how much effort goes into a lake that is fun to fish, that is properly stocked. It doesn't just happen. That has to be managed. And so that's, that's a big part of what you offer the landowners. Uh, Yes, uh, there's yeah. there, there's many steps to it, and like any business, there's a lot more to it than, than anybody realizes, but uh, uh, that's where we come in to help. Yeah, and then, of course, for the member, it goes back to that tagline, that real solitude, and that's that's the key thing. Yeah. And I can just I can just picture that per per perfect member being Mark Brady because that's that's what they appreciate. And and looking at the membership rates, it's a very reasonable rate structure. We, we're not talking about something here that's uh, out of people's budgets. This is a very affordable option for a lot of people, I would say. Yeah, we we think so. Uh, at about $500 a year to join, and then you pay a small daily rod fee of $85 to $175. That's a per-person basis, and then you have the entire property to yourself. So yeah, um, there, most fishing clubs have a pretty large upfront cost, anywhere from ten to $25,000. Uh, I've heard of one as high as 100000 but um, – that's as much about associating with people who can afford $100,000 memberships than it is about the fishing. Right. So. Yeah, I can see that. So a uh, challenge of marketing and reaching your customer, you've got those two different customer bases. It's always a big challenge for small business owners. Where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my efforts? Chat with us about how you find your customers. Yeah. Um, well, the power of Facebook uh, and we're just realizing this. In fact, we just recently signed a contract with the – we evaluated two online companies, one called uh, Tweet Angels, the other called 99Social. Uh, we went with a company called 99Social to help manage our social media. 
Uh, we're just now beginning to see the benefits of that. <clears throat> we just started in the last couple of months. Uh, we've had our best January ever by almost uh, twofold, and we're two-thirds of the way through the month. So I attribute some of that or most of that to our social media campaign. But really where I've had the uh, best luck is doing uh, uh, TV, radio, and primarily, believe it or not, still the power of the newspaper. Uh, hmm. I'm amazed, you know, the newspaper business is on the decline, but I guess maybe because our market is primarily reaching people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Those are the people that have the time and can afford to do something like that. And so uh, many of those people still read the newspaper. So there's only five outdoor sports writers in the state of Texas anymore. Uh, as the business, as I said, the business, the newspaper business is taking a big downturn. So, but when those folks write articles about us, uh, the the phones light up, the email light up. Uh, so, and you know, I've reached out to them. Uh, you know, these guys are looking for stories in magazines, television shows. Uh, they're looking for places. I think sometimes we're a little afraid to to reach out, like they won't return my call. But I, I think to myself, gosh, these guys are. They need stories. They want to write about stuff, and we have kind of a unique business model, so it's been relatively easy to get them to write about it. I guess the hard part is I can only have them write about us every couple of years. If otherwise, it begins to look too uh, self-serving for the for the newspaper. But uh, been fortunate enough to get full-page uh, stories in the Houston Chronicle, the Austin Statesman, the Dallas Morning News. Um, the paper and Tyler. So uh, those have been some great. As far as landowners, uh, again, we've just started our first direct mail campaign. Um, so we actually targeted 160 lakes in and around four metro areas in Texas and uh, very targeted audience, as you might imagine. Uh, we were able to get their addresses on uh, county tax records, and uh, we've begun our first drill direct mail campaign. So, uh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's, a, that's tremendous advice. I think what it touches on is what I always try to advise as well, which is you got to figure out where your audience is listening and then approach it that way. Because as small business owners, we sometimes the whole idea of marketing can become paralyzing. We don't have unlimited budgets, obviously, and we've got people calling us every day asking us to do this and do that. And you've figured out where your audience is listening. There's also this concept of where is there less noise. Direct mail is an interesting one because a lot of people think direct mail is dead. But in fact, they're finding that because so many people have moved off of direct mail, there's actually an opportunity there. I just recently did a direct mail campaign that, that got an 8% return, wow. which compared to traditional you know, 2 3%, that's pretty darn good. Um, and it's because, as you alluded to, it was very targeted. And and so it had a specific audience in mind, and it did very well. And so you you got to explore everything is, is the thing for a small business owner. But, again, we have limited budgets. Going back to the social media on Facebook, and, and you, you said you went with 99Social. So are they creating content for you and then boosting those posts? Are they doing Facebook ads? Just give me a little bit more about what they're doing there for you. Yeah, they do any and all of the above. So they guarantee us uh, seven posts a week. Uh, we bought a package that gives us, I don't recall, 50 or $100 worth of boost credit uh, and ad credit. 
uh, we can provide content, we can provide pictures, um, or they'll they'll go out and find it. And so we've sent them some stuff. They you know, they've done some stuff. Again, it's relatively new, so I'm you know I can't speak in great detail about it. But mm-hmm. we've been doing it for now for thirty to sixty days, and um, uh, but I uh, but I recently took a Goldman Sachs small business program, and uh, they showed an incredible video on the power of social media. And if you think it's a, in fact, I think the the video was entitled "Is Social Media a Fad?" and uh, it, it is not a fad. It's here to stay, and you better get on board or. <laughs> or you're going to get left behind. Yeah, that's I absolutely agree with that. And, and certainly right now in particular, Facebook is where it's at. Um, I've got quite a bit of experience there. I've got a bit of experience in Google AdWords. But in part because of how uh, deeply you can segment your target audience right now in Facebook, and it's kind of scary actually how much they know about us. But the, but in, conversely, from an advertiser perspective, that's wonderful because I can very clearly target an audience, and it, it just works right now. Well, and you know what I learned in that class is uh, we had a, several social media companies come. It also depends on your demographic. Yes, Facebook fits my demographic, which are typically are men in their uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. But if you had a small business that uh, catered to a, a younger demographic, you know, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, in fact, we're also doing some things on Twitter. So 99Social does both Twitter and Facebook. But uh, Instagram is a huge one, especially with the younger audience, but isn't necessarily you know, necessary for me. And what I looked at was LinkedIn. We haven't done anything with LinkedIn, but I think there's some potential there uh, since uh, predominantly our our members are uh, professional folks. Yeah, absolutely. And so that goes back to two things. You, you understand very clearly who your target demographic is. You understand what they look like. And it's about where are they listening? Where are they participating online, particularly in social media? And that's where you're going. And I think that's that's the big takeaway for a small business owner is where do I start is often what paralyzes them. And it it starts with understanding who your demographic is, who your customer is, and then understanding, doing a little bit more research about where are they? Are they on Facebook? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Pinterest? And starting there instead of trying to be everything to everybody, which is very difficult to maintain. I agree. I agree. So you mentioned the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. You and I had chatted about that and what a tremendous uh, benefit that was to go through that program. Tell, tell me a bit more about that and some of the key takeaways from it. Well, I've... I've become their biggest fan. In fact, I had the opportunity to – We I graduated in December, uh, so just about a month ago. Uh, it was an intense class. It was 16 weeks long. We met once or twice a week uh, for typically eight-hour days, uh, often during the week during business hours. And so the, the, really the, the class taught me so much, but a lot of it focused on how to properly read it cash flow statement, how to read a balance sheet, how to read a P&L, which I thought I knew, but I didn't, Um, taught me how to set company culture, how to set your core values, your vision, your mission, you know, why do we do what we do? You know, why is that important? But my deliverable to the the class and for my company was we had to do a 30-page growth strategy, and 
when you have to sit down and write, this is different than a business plan. It's a growth strategy. And so when you have to sit down and write it out and start to go through the process in your mind of who are your competitors? What percent of the market share do they have? Is this thought even feasible? You know, originally I had wanted to uh, franchise private water fishing, and I still think there's an opportunity to do that. But uh, the capital outlay and the the uh, which was about six hundred thousand to a million dollars to to franchise the model was more than I wanted to bite off at this time. And so about six weeks through the class, I changed my opportunity, my growth strategy, and uh, that was to start a separate division of the company called Private Water Lake Management, and that's the area we decided to pursue. So I hired a biologist about two weeks ago, um, and so we'll begin the new journey of private water fishing division called Private Water Lake Management. So without the class, um, the, the class just gets you to to think, and we don't do that as small business owners. You're too busy running your business, and so but when you're when you're forced to dedicate time inside and outside of class, you don't want to be embarrassed. When you come to class, you need to have done your homework, and there was a lot of homework. So couldn't be happier. The, the Goldman Sachs 10,000, it's called Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business. It's online. It's free <laughs> uh, to give you a feel of the value of it. Uh, Goldman Sachs pledged $200 million to the curriculum of this. And uh, they dedicated uh, $5 million over five years to the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth area, which is where I live. And uh, so that's a million dollars a year. They put about 90 people through the course in a year. So you do the math, 90 divided by a million. You know, I received a thirty to $35,000 education at no cost. So uh, I had people in my class that had MBAs, and they told me they learned tenfold in this class than they did in their MBA. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. You can find the show notes at levantebusinessgroup.com. So thanks for sharing that. And that I got to think now that you've gone through a program like that, that you're probably thinking I got to do something like that on a periodic basis to separate myself from the business and to really think about where we're going. Because like you said, otherwise what most of us do is we, we, we have some ideas, we, we think about this or that, but it's mostly reactionary. We're bogged down in the day-to-day -day operating of the business and we don't have that that process or opportunity to step back and do that level of analysis. Do you think that'll become, whether it's Goldman Sachs or not, but do you think that'll become now part of your ongoing process on a regular basis, yearly or whatever? Uh, for sure. And so I've actually just, uh, I don't know if the word subscribe, but just joined, there's the word, uh, a, cup, a group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, I think our first, my first meeting with them is next month. And so that's a monthly accountability group. Uh, through the process of this class, I, uh, one of the members of my class asked me to be on his board, his advisory board. And so I think it's, you know, while I'm going to be being mentored in EO, I'm also going to be helping mentor uh, another small business. So uh, uh, just a great opportunity. Uh, somebody once said, you know, the way you learn best is, when you're teaching and you're being taught at the same time. So, yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. All right. Let me ask you, uh, start to wrap it up here. Let me ask you a question. That's kind of a right turn. 
I want to ask you about a, a business book that maybe you've read recently or are currently reading that you would recommend to our audience of small business owners. Well, I'm not a big reader, but I do read on occasion. Uh, the book I'm reading now, and it's because it was in my Goldman Sachs class, I'm about halfway done. It's called People Styles at Work. And I, what I'm learning through the book is that you know you've got to appreciate that not everybody's wired like you, and so how do you use that person's strengths uh, to to the best of your company's advantage? So, uh, you know, I think I go through life sometimes thinking, well, why doesn't the guy think like I? You know, that seems pretty common sense to me. Uh, well, it, <laughs> maybe I need to open my eyes it's, uh, and and think a little bit differently. Uh, but I think probably the the best business book, and maybe it's because I spent the most time in my uh, my previous job was I read Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. And uh, gosh, we spent, I don't know how many months going over that book uh, and uh, really delved into it. And I, 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 I guess the thing I remember the most, and I alluded it earlier with my wife, is, you know, you've got to get the bus going the right direction. Once you get it going the right direction, then you've got to get everybody on the right seat. Yeah. And so, uh, we're still working on getting our team on the on the bus, and then we'll we're we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for those two recommendations. I've read Good to Great, had not heard of People's Styles That Works. So I'll look into that. I'll include both of those links in the show notes as well. So thank you for that. All right, so let me let me start to wrap it up. Lots of great information you've shared uh, today, Steve. I appreciate that, and our listeners do as well. Some of the key things that kind of stood out to me um, after we got into understanding how you came to be an entrepreneur is um, it, certainly in the process of buying the business, if you were to go back and do it differently, you might leverage some professionals to help you with that process, but you certainly learned a lot there. Uh, the whole point of working with family and defining roles is, is a huge takeaway, certainly. Um, and then, of course, early on, I liked, I loved the quote about what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail and, and that, uh, that fear of risk and failure and overcoming that. Uh, asking good questions, one of the key things you learn from your mom and, and what, that, what transitioned over from that sales experience. I think that was a huge takeaway. And then as I've been listening, what becomes crystal clear for me is that you have a very clear understanding of who your customer is, and then that drives where you advertise and look for that customer, and you understand what they're looking for very clearly. I, I think that's got to be one of the reasons for your continued success. And then, of course, this last piece we talked about with the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business, whether it's that or a program like that, it really helped you to take a step back and help you define where you were going with the business. And that, again, is something that as small business owners, we don't usually take the time to do. And that's, that's a huge takeaway, in my opinion. Um, is there any last parting piece of advice for our listeners who, again, are either thinking about starting their own small business or have started and are looking to grow their business? Anything else that comes to mind that you would share? Well, you, you did a great job summarizing it, just like you did a great job with the bio. You've done your homework. And you're, you're a good listener yourself. I don't know. For me, I guess I didn't really appreciate risk and what the role risk plays in your success. And so if you're not willing to take some risk, you're not willing to 
to, to jump once in a while, you're not going to be a very successful entrepreneur. So Yeah, that's fantastic. Let me ask you a question on that because I've been thinking about this topic of risk quite a bit because it's obviously one of the – I've always understood it to be one of the big barriers. But I've come to believe that I can separate it into two categories. One is the risk – the financial, the real financial risk that we make. I've mortgaged uh, my house. I've tapped into my 401k. I've used up all of my savings. I'm signing on a five-year lease, whatever it might be. And if the business fails and I've put myself and my family at financial risk, that's real risk. And, and I mitigate that by hopefully having properly planned, properly studied, and I'm making a calculated move here. The other side of it is that risk of failure, the embarrassment that would come from that, the uh, having to tell my peers and family that I failed at that. And those are two different types of risks, right? Is it that fear of embarrassment? Was that more what you had to overcome? Or was it the financial, that hard risk that you had to overcome? Which one was it more for you, do you think? Gosh, another great question. Um, I, I would say both, and for and I'll touch on both of those. For for the financial aspect, you know, I literally made fifteen percent, and so not only was that the issue, but it was lost opportunity cost. So, you know, uh, I was making a great living, had a book of business that was, you know, rocking it pretty good, and and so. Not only did I have to take a step back, and then it, it takes years and years and years to get that back. So, you know, you start doing the math, and it, it adds up pretty quickly. Um, and yes, as as men, I always say that we're pride. We're we're wired to be prideful, and uh, the seven deadly sins. Pride is at the top, and all the deadly sins beneath that stem from pride. And so, uh, that's I think that's more of an issue for somebody in their thirties. And maybe even to their 40s, but I turned 50 this year, and you know, uh, while I still have pride, <laughs> I'd be less than honest if I told you I didn't. I don't care about those things as much as I did. I, I guess I look at it, I've been, uh, while I haven't made it, I haven't arrived. I don't even know what that means, but I don't worry about uh, what others think quite as much as I used to when I was younger. Yeah, no, that's tremendous insight, and I couldn't agree with that more. So thanks for adding that that additional thought to that, because it is such a big item, such a big part of making that leap into being your own boss. Uh, well, great. I appreciate that. Where can people find out more about you and about your business, Steve? Yeah, so best way to uh, find us is on the web, and uh, that's privatewaterfishing.com. Great. And we'll include that, obviously, in the show notes, which you can find at LavanteBusinessGroup.com, that and all of the other uh, great things that uh, Steve has mentioned, resources, books, all of that will be in the show notes. So, Steve, thank you once again. This has been a tremendous uh, half hour or so full of tremendous information for our small business owners. So thanks for joining us. been my pleasure. Thank you. you. You're a great interviewer. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I appreciate that. Great guest also. So um, you can find links, like I said, to everything that we've mentioned on our show notes page. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How of Business podcast. If you have not already, we definitely invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. We also greatly appreciate your ratings and reviews, and we look forward to having you on the next episode of the How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. 
We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.